Hello out there. This is Sam Kilmer, Managing Director of Cornerstone Advisors, bringing you another episode of FinTech Hustle live in the hall, uh, right here at lovely Tampa Tech here in the JW. We are in the hall. I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Mary Wisniewski, and we have got a couple of awesome leaders from the, uh, from the industry, Str- straight out of the industry. We got Derek Sutton over here, Chief Marketing Officer of Auto Books. We got John Finley, CEO of Lemonade LXP, and they've decided to join us. Hopefully they won't regret it. We're just going to do a nice little unscripted chat here of what's going on in the industry, what you see working and not what you're hearing in the halls here. And we are fresh out of the halls. I mean, we just, guys, we just literally tumbled out of sessions. I think one of yours was actually on cannabis. So maybe people literally rolled right out of the, right out of the sessions, Mary. But, uh, so it's good. Exactly. So maybe, uh, you know, just to kind of get things rolling, uh, let's start with you, Derek. Give us a little bit of a day in the life of Derek in fintech. What do you, what do you, what, what's your day look like, buddy? What's my day look like? Um, you know, I wake up and I just issue some fintech hot takes. No, I, uh, no, uh, you know, honestly, what we, what I do is just spend a lot of time talking to the banks, um, about small business banking and then spend uh, as much time as I can talking to their customers about what their needs are. And then trying to reflect that and relate that back to the bankers so that, you know, our integration and our partnership can, can flourish and thrive as best it can. So awesome. that's what we you, do. John? What's a day in the life of John Finley look like? Well, it's very complicated, as you can imagine. <laughs> I'm a busy guy. Um, oh, a big part of my, my thing is um, figuring out how to help banks with digital fluency, digital adoption, growing their digital banking business. Um, big challenge that they face is... In a lot of cases, their staff don't have to bank with them, yet they're meant to promote and support their technology, which is a tricky situation. So we're trying to help reduce that stress for frontline staff so that they can become ambassadors for digital. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, and I know, Mary, you had a session today too, and, and um, I want to kind of get all of your takes on what are, what, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, your takeaways from this event? I know we're only, like, well, I guess it's over tomorrow, so we're kind of halfway or a little bit past halfway through the event. Any key takeaways or bites that you would, you know, that you would point to in terms of things that you're hearing here at the next tech, John? Well, nobody's interested in deposits. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, deposits. Uh, I mean, that's all I hear about is deposits, deposits, deposits. So that's a big thing. Um, and it's interesting from the smaller FIs who are uh, not quite as far along in digital. Um, they're, they're sort of earlier in that roadmap, and so their needs are very different from mid-sized FIs, I find. And so mid-sized are trying to figure out, you know, protecting market share with the, with the sort of competing technologies that are competing for financial services. And the smaller guys are trying to um, sort of transform digitally, but they're much earlier in their path. So because of the conversations I'm having are all about digital transformation and adoption, I see these two sort of places where your small FIs are earlier and the middle ones are, are much further along. Yeah, I would echo what John said. You know, I think that the divide's getting wider for me. Um, you hear more and more about, you know, the digital divide and, uh, you know, smaller banks trying to catch up, catch up. But that's been going on for a long time. And I just think the divide's getting wider and wider. I think the budgets are getting harder to manage. And, you know, just with all this banking fallout and crisis, you can really see the distinct differences in the market. And you hear the community banks talking about protecting the customers and they're solid and fine. While at the same time, you see survey after survey where their customers are like, trust you, but you also can't keep up from a technology standpoint. So maybe I bank somewhere else. I think it's a really strange reconciliation that's going to come into, into play. 
Um, got some thoughts about it, but yeah, we'd love to hear. Mary, what are you, what are you yeah. hearing out? All right. Well, to go off of that, like um, the digital divide, I definitely, I definitely see that. And it's, it's funny because you hear the same things year after year often. I mean, like um, digital onboarding shouldn't really feel like it's a topic at a fintech event, but it's a topic here. So, um, but I think the newer wrinkle, of course, is like added scrutiny on who you're working with because of all the, you know, bold, um, wild news that's been going down. So I think people are afraid of that, especially with banking as a service, like what, you know, watch your vendors and watch your vendors vendors. But the pot session really brought it home for me, actually. Also, uh, it's all clear. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I got into this. I was a little late. Um, they are passing out gummies approved for bankers, which means there's no pot in it. Um, <laughs> but they were describing Compliance Shield. I think that's the vendor's name. But, um, you know, desperate for deposits. But he was framing like, oh, get into the pot banking business, big banks probably won't do this. And like a community banker could gather more deposits. In fact, they had like people bringing pillows of cash into branches, which is not safe, of course. So now there's like, there's limitations on what a branch will accept. So I just thought, wow, this is actually the most interesting thing I've heard here. So beat that, Sam. (laughs) Well, I can't beat it. Other than I would say, um, I really like the session and the discussion that the interplay that you had with Sia. Uh, from Connect One, just talking about, you know, in, in their particular case, this idea of, you know, can I partner, can I be a builder, and can I not crush a creative culture? Uh, in their case, acquiring a fintech in Bowfly. Um, and I like the whole conversation around, well, we don't, we don't, we're able to do it because we keep it separate. We try not to crush it or, you know, whatever the equivalent of that is. And so, um, Really, really like that. Um, I've also liked, you know, just coming out of some of the afternoon sessions, John, I know you had one with, uh, I think, PSCU, and, and there were some others. What I liked about it was pairing up uh, a couple of different people. So it wasn't just the fintechs uh, pitching. You know, it was really the fintechs talking with someone who's either deploying it or using it. And I just kind of found the interplay, and I found the audience was obviously much more engaged in that, uh, not just because it was a smaller venue session. But uh, anyway, that was some of my takeaways. I, I'd like to get you guys' take uh, on what you see working and not working well in the industry right now. You know, it's like we're always just looking, hey, what are you seeing in the halls or in, the, in your travels? Maybe we, start, maybe we start on the positive side of things. What are you seeing that you think is working well? Derek? Uh, when banks lean in and market to their customers, customers tend to respond. And we see it in the adoption of our products and services when a bank um, creates a goal, creates metrics, and actually builds a program around how do we push this product and service from an educational standpoint, things go well. Uh, When they think of marketing as a four-letter word, and it's like, oh, we can't do marketing. It's too pushy. We're not salesy. We only send you know, certain amount of emails or types of emails, you know, based upon a calendar, you know, like this is June. This is when we do the auto loans. August is when we do CDs. We'll talk about small business, you know, during, during small business week only or something like that. Things tend to fall apart because let's face it, like there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of um, calls for people's attention in the market. And if you're not consistently there, then you're oftentimes forgotten. Yeah. John, what do you see working well? Well, I think what's working well is post COVID, I think financial institutions are taking digital seriously. I think it was, um, bit of lip service prior. It's like, oh, we, you know, we need to drive adoption. We need, but really there were still 
um, analog businesses really. Mm -hmm. COVID shut down the branches, sent everybody home. Contact centers got slammed. Everybody's banking digitally. The banks go, oh no, what do we got to do? And so now they're really leaning in and you can see it in their digital customer experiences improving across the industry, I think. So I think banks are, and, and credit unions are starting to do a great job of that, which I think in the long run will help them protect market share. They're not going to lose customers to the big guys who have a better digital customer experience and so forth. So I think that's one thing that's changed post-COVID. Yeah. Mary, what, have you, what are you seeing that's been working well? No, that's all right. I always like the negative question, Sam, but I'll... <laughs> well, I, well, I'll give you a positive first. And and I think it's like colored in. I saw Jill tweeting from Citizens Bank of Edmonton. Yeah. Um, they extend, she extended her uh, number. So people can reach a human up to 11 p.m. if I'm remembering that tweet, right? So um, that's on my mind because I also heard someone here talk about how, you know, they're a New York credit union or a bank. I don't remember, but they hired people in California to deal with, you know, the, the calls that come in later. And, you know, this is not efficient, but something I'm learning by working with Cornerstone is like the the relationship matters so much for a lot of these customers that a phone call is actually... Um, a competitive advantage, and that's not something a lot of like the fintech companies, whatever, <laughs> would ever consider. Um, what's what's not working? Like, um, I think the undertones here is there's like missing development. Almost like I, I I'm I'm not seeing anything that's like cutting edge to me. Um, and I'm hoping that there's more products developed for entrepreneurs. Good observation. I, I know one thing, I don't know if this, you'd call this a positive or a negative, but, you know, obviously chatbots and, and sort of using AI in a chatbot capacity has been a, you know, kind of a raging topic for a while. But it seems like a lot of the providers, I was listening on the Agent IQ session, listening in on a couple of the other sessions, and it seems like they're starting to really hit their stride with kind of getting past kind of their early pioneer clients and getting into, you know, what I would call a little bit more, um, every bank type cases and, and having more people jump on board. I, I know one of the sessions, I can't remember who it was from, but there was a, a real good conversation around uh, how to use AI and then transfer to live agents. So there was this interplay between not just, you know, fake person and real person, if you're lucky, but a, a defined path to real human beings. And then the, a, the kind of the AI interplay. And I thought that that was, I thought that was well thought out, um, and and so that was something that captured me. Um, I know, guys. Um, what, what's not anything you see that's not working well that you'd like to point out, John? So I had uh, I had the uh, the unfortunate experience of calling the helpline at my financial institution, which will remain nameless. Here? Uh, no, it was last week, <laughs> and the AI agent just wouldn't listen. <laughs> It wouldn't listen. It was, it was like my kids, you know? I'm like, can you, I want to do this. And they're like, please get one to do this. And I'm like, come on. So it, yeah, so literally I was, I was, I went around in a circle with this thing for three or four circles. I finally hung up. It was just ridiculous. It's like my 14-year-old. Yeah. So I think while there is progress being made, yeah. I think there's still a lot of room there for improvement because, I mean, AI, you know, stuff that's already in market is fairly old, right? Yeah. So new stuff coming out is going to improve that. And the rate of the rate of technolo technological innovation is fast enough that it's, I don't think it's a major concern. But that was my personal experience. And I was like, and the other thing I think is that FIs, when trying to acquire new customers, are still missing uh, a really key 
uh, piece of the equation. I'll give you an example. So I had to get bank accounts for my kids. Okay. So, uh, and I was like, okay, well, I should probably look in the new fancy digital banks and well, I did all that. And everyone I went to had a webpage with the marketing stuff. And I'm, I'm about to create a long-term relationship for my kids with this financial institution, but I can't see their tech. I can't actually play with it. But the main way they're going to interact with that financial institution for their entire lives is through the technology, but I can't see it before I buy. And so where did I put my kids? The bank that I'm with, because I understand the tech. I didn't want to be tech support for them in addition to being tech support for my parents, right? That's a missed opportunity. This just makes me think of Dave, um, which launched not originally as a challenger bank, but like raised like people to be able to use the app without having to sign up for a bank account. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about Dave, but I do think that's an interesting model. Like, hey, I can, I'm actually loving this app and now maybe I'll get a bank account. So to your point. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, anything you see now? Yeah. Everything's too complex. Like the banking industry will not let go of the past. And what that does is, you know, to your point, you go to the website, you go to a product, and there's all of these features and capabilities that are probably used by the majority or the minority of the customer base. But there's somebody in the back office that says, you know, we can't let go of these features because we've got X, Y, and Z on it. And what that does is it holds everything back. It makes AI harder. It makes change management harder. It makes implementation of the new technology harder. So everything we hold on to that's not readily used needs to go away. Um, like the analogy I always give is, you know, the banks are like the cheesecake factory. And you open up, you go to the cheesecake factory and they got this menu and it's like selection after selection after selection and it's overload. And FinTech's like in and out Burger. And I'm going to get a burger, I'm going to get a fries and shake, and I know it's going to be good. I know exactly what it is. It's simple and easy, and you can like pivot and innovate off that model. And I think it's really hard to scale Cheesecake Factory of features, capabilities from a marketing standpoint, from an innovation standpoint, that at some point in time, I think banks are going to have to say, hey, these things can go away, and that's okay. Um, and if there's customers that are impacted, maybe we don't want those types of customers. This is the opposite of that, but it reminds me of that like Chime and Current. I think it was Current. It's definitely Chime. They started letting people deposit cash at retailers during the pandemic. So that's an example of like not a lot of their customers use it, but a regular amount of customers use it. So it's like an interesting thing. Oh, I'll add this. So I'll make my in and out a little bit more appealing to a broader set. But like it's the opposite approach instead of like, wow, <laughs> here's all this crap. So I think the difference there, though, is that's um, customer-led innovation and like fulfilling a need versus, um, you know, tr you can't possibly build the future holding on to the past. And so if you're holding on to all these things that you do, it burdens operations, it burdens the vendor relation man management. You know, you can't possibly evaluate the new digital banking provider come in because they don't do all of these old things that maybe aren't relevant anymore. And then you're sitting there screaming as a bank, why don't you keep me up to date, vendor? And they say, well, I'm supporting all of these old things that you that, that you know, rarely get used, but yet it's holding you back from going to the new thing. So I think it's just a hard thing to, to reconcile. But in your example, what I would say is like, let the customer win. What are the customers using and go build towards that? I just wanted to say, I agree with you, but I think the challenge is the customer experience through that transition. Um, you know, you, 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 
you could say, well, if the customer's not willing to change, we don't want that customer. But let's face it, all the old people have the money. You want that customer. And so how do you transition them in a way that is seamless and not so disruptive for them so that you can transition off old systems or old processes to move to new? And I think that's something you have to consider because otherwise, you, know, you don't want to ruin your market share. Yeah, good stuff. And, and I, you know, just to throw you guys a little bit of a compliment beyond what you guys do with your, with your companies. One of the things that I, I, when I was thinking about this, that you guys both have in common is you're not only really interesting to listen to, like when you're presenting, but you're just, you're kind of content masters. I mean, I'm thinking about the gamification, John, that you, that, that you all do. And then also Derek thinking through, you know, some of the education work that you do for small business. And to me, it's just like, it's, it's great content, but it, it's just a great song. It's great. It's, you know, it's great storytelling. And, and I, I think we have a fintech hustle first and that Derek, you actually issued us homework. Can, can you tell us a little bit about the, I mean, cause really, I actually, I, it, this was, this was among the first homework that I actually enjoyed doing. And, and candidly, that's, that's kind of a shocker right away. So tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. So uh, you invited me to the podcast, and I was I happened to be listening to a singer-songwriter that I listened to a lot in college and, and growing up. His name's Jackie Ingram. is a Texas singer-songwriter. And I was listening to this song that I always enjoy. It's called Blaine's Ferris Wheel. Nothing like related to the lyrics of the song that's like pertinent to fintech necessarily. But um, then I remembered that, you know, it's just like a really authentic story. I'm from West Texas, and so I know the place that he's talking about, like San Angelo, Texas. I know the type of people. I understand the whole vibe, and he's setting the mood in the scene, you know, in the song. And then I remember that he also tells a story about actually meeting Blaine, and you hear him like give off his voice at affection, and he starts to you know get deeper in the story. So now you re-listen the song, and the song's more rich, right? And so it got me thinking that banks, when it comes to bank marketing, so I'm obsessed with like bank marketing these days. Um, I'm thinking about like, what's a good metaphor? I was looking for like a good metaphor. And I'm like, banks have to be good, like authentic regional storytellers. You know, so if like their genre of music, they need to be like authentic regional storytellers because their customers understand the context, they understand the setting, and they're just telling these authentic stories. Mm -hmm. And then whenever Jack talks about writing the song, he's basically telling you about his user research. And he's telling you about like the actual customer and he goes into even greater detail. And I'm sitting there thinking like, that's what bank marketing should be. Like you should just tell the stories of your customers in a very authentic, approachable, empathetic way. You don't need to try to be a pop star and pretend to be something that you're not and be sensational and like over the top. You just need to be an authentic storyteller. And so it just hit me in that way. So like having listened to, did you listen to the song first? Like I said, and then you listen to the story and then you re-listen and was the song better yeah. because of it? Yeah. And so like bank marketing should be that way. The song then made me laugh a lot <laughs> because the backstory is like DUI and like yeah. going on affairs. I mean, there's this provocative yeah. story. <laughs> Oftentimes that's not what bank marketing is. It's not relatable. It's not story driven. It's very... Um, like unapproachable and you're supposed to know everything before you adopt it to your point. Like you got to figure out and do all the work instead of like understanding the benefit from the perspective of the user. Yeah. I, I call that the um, buy our stuff at buyourstuff.com because our stuff is cool. Motive, motive of, uh, of marketing versus, you know, can I tell you a story about something that might help? 
you know, where you just sort of very plain language unload a great story. And by the way, to Mary's point, I, that wasn't all roses, right? There was some painful stuff in there. Uh, by the way, guys, just to repeat, it was Jack Ingram and it was Blaine's Ferris wheel, right? Check it out. When I, when you assigned me the homework, now I thought maybe you'd hit the, uh, you hit the gummies. Cause I'm like, how is this going to relate? How is this going to relate to banking? But now I realized you're actually sober and making sense. But, but, <laughs> But seriously, stories are such a key element of, like, I tell a lot of stories in what we do. I'll tell you one quick story because you talked about the gamification yeah. piece. So when my son was three years old, I'm from Canada, so I was like, yeah. he's got to learn to skate and play hockey. That's what we do. We're Canadian. So I took him to the rink, put him on the rink, and he sat on his ass and cried. And I was like, oh. And so 30 minutes of trying to conjole this kid, I'm like, geez, he just won't skate. And then I realized, ah, it's the teacher's fault. Took my hat off and I said, hey, Jackson, bet you can't get my hat. What did he do? Clambered to his feet, scampered over, fell on his face 20 times playing a game. 30 minutes later, the kid could skate because he wasn't thinking about failing. He wasn't thinking about learning. He was thinking about getting the hat. There's your story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also you had a, and you had a great moment. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, that's, that, that's the other thing about it. So, well, hey, um, Thanks for joining us today, um, and uh, we really enjoyed it. And uh, on on another in the hall unscripted episode of FinTech Hustle, have a good one out there. Safe travels to all of you. We'll see you again. <laughs> <laughs>